Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of glitz, glamour, and ball bearings. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. And I like that. I like that intro, Paul. <laughs> Thank you. Today we're talking about Pachinko, a very popular arcade game slash gambling machine found all over the place in Japan. So if you've ever been to Japan, maybe you're walking down the street and all of a sudden you hear a bunch of loud noise coming from somewhere and you look over there, maybe you smell some cigarette smoke and you look and there's this place just filled with rows of machines. There are tons of flashing lights in there. They look a little bit like slot machines. Yeah. That's a pachinko parlor. Yeah, you really can't miss them. Yeah. They are designed so you can't miss them. <laughs> For real. I remember the first time I came across one in Tokyo. I'm like, what? is this place. I mean, it looks like a casino, but smaller. You know, it's not like some huge complex or anything. It's just this little... It's like a strip mall casino. Yeah, yeah. So I think the easiest way to describe the game itself is maybe to compare it to pinball. Yeah, similar to pinball, except you don't have paddles. Right, you have less control over where the balls are going. A lot of our American audience might... Get the analogy to Plinko. Right. If you've ever watched The Price is Right, it's a game they do on there. Yeah, The Price is Right was my jam when I was a kid staying home from school. That was like the best thing on daytime TV. Yeah, any sick day, you're watching The Price is Right. Yeah, and Plinko, looking back, I don't really know why, but that was my favorite part of that whole show was when they pulled out the Plinko board. Everyone likes Plinko. Yeah. So basically in Pachinko... You shoot a little ball bearing, similarly to you would shoot a little ball to start a pinball game. Mm. And then it plinks around as it goes down, and if it lands in a certain place, you win. And if it lands in a certain place, you don't win. Mm -hmm. And then you shoot another ball. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of constantly shooting these yeah, balls. Yeah. It's, you're, doing, you're dealing with a bunch of balls all at once, so that's one major difference from pinball. Another big difference is that pachinko is vertical. It's not a horizontal board like pinball machines. It's like if you took that machine and stood it up. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like I'd watch the ball. Where's it going to go? But pachinko players are just like ping, ping, ping. It's just constant action. Launching balls. Yeah. So that's the general idea of the game. We're going to get much more in, into the details of it. But let's talk a little bit about the gambling aspect because it's kind of weird how that all works out. Yeah. The 1948 Criminal Code in Japan states that gambling activities not under the control of state authorities are totally forbidden, including casinos, lotteries, and games of chance. Mm -hmm. But somehow, pachinko works. Why is that? Because pachinko has this totally ridiculous loophole where they can argue that it's not gambling, but it totally is. So the way it works is you're not gambling directly for money. There's kind of a, a little workaround. Yeah. <laughs> so you play, you win prizes, kind of like you would at like an arcade in the U.S. Instead of getting tickets and exchanging those for prizes, you're getting a bunch of these little metal balls and exchanging those for prizes. But the workaround is that you can go around the corner or to a nearby shop and you can sell those prizes for cash. So it's just like gambling for money. There's just a step in between where you're selling the prizes. Yeah, cashing out can mean like taking home a candy bar or it could mean taking home 
enough money to buy a flat screen TV. Like mm-hmm. it's all all depends on how hard you grind and how lucky you get. Yeah. So I have a little info about kind of how and why this works. So under Japanese law, cash can't be paid out directly for those pachinko balls, which are what you're winning when you play the game. But this workaround works because the shops that are buying the prizes from you are supposedly independent from the pachinko parlor itself. That's what makes it legal, is the separation of these two businesses, the pachinko game establishment and the shop that is buying the prizes from you. Yeah, it's what makes it legal, but it's also what makes it so clearly shady. Yeah. Like, clearly, this shop's just not in business, totally unconnected to the parlor, buying all your prizes and giving you cash. Like, they're definitely connected. Everybody knows they're connected. It wouldn't work if they're not connected. Mm-hmm. But they just pretend like they're not, and it's okay. Yeah. And the police don't care. They're apparently totally fine with this arrangement. And I saw that even if the police find out that a pachinko parlor is illegally running its own exchange center to buy back those prizes, they still might not do anything about it. Like, they just do not care. So in the past, the Yakuza, the Japanese mafia, was actually involved often in the prize exchange part of this whole process. But these days, they have much less of a presence than they used to. Yeah, the Yakuza have also been known to use pachinko machines to launder money. So if you've got a bunch of ill-gotten cash, you just go pump it into machines, take the balls out, go exchange them for clean money at the exchanging place. It's an interesting way to launder money. It is interesting. I've always found money laundering to be an interesting thing. It's something that gets thrown around in TV shows and movies like it's this easy thing to do, but there's all these weird, complicated schemes that people come up with in order to launder money. And that's what it's all about, is just making it so complicated that it's really difficult to trace. Yeah, you can't prove that like any this money went from the here to here. It's just too much. Too much happened. Yeah. So you mentioned that Yakuza aren't as involved in the industry anymore, and I think That's in part because the police have kind of taken their role or a role in them and forced the Yakuza out. Yeah, yeah. I read that retired police officers often work in the pachinko industry now. Yeah, I saw that the police hold quote-unquote reserved seats for their retired ranks in pachinko industry. So, like, there's just, like, guaranteed X amount of jobs for retired police officials. There's some sort of arrangement they have. Yes. Interesting. Another very fishy thing going on. (laughs) Yeah. So that might be part of why the police are pretty lenient on the whole gambling loophole thing. Yeah. I looked up Yakuza and Pachinko, and mostly what I got is the police busting illegal pachinko parlors that are said to have ties to the Yakuza. So it's like the police are involved in all the legitimate ones, so then they go crack down on the ones that are unlicensed Hmm. because they're not getting a cut. Interesting. Theoretically. I shouldn't make too many wild accusations (laughs) that I don't have proof of. Either way, though, the industry makes a ton of money, And of course, the government is making a lot of money on taxing the industry too. So maybe that's another reason they might not want to mess with it too much. Yeah. So Japan's got a population of over 128 million people. 
I've saw that there's an estimated 10 million people in Japan that play pachinko regularly. I think we both have a bunch of statistics here, right, that are kind of mind-blowing. Yeah. I saw that around 1 in 11 Japanese people plays pachinko every week. Yeah. 1 in 11. I mean, so 10 million, if you take out kids under 18, that's like 1 in 10, right? Mm Mm-hmm. That's so many, like play gambling weekly like that for one in 10 people in the country. That's huge. That's so much. Yeah. In 2015, the pachinko market generated more gambling revenue than Las Vegas, Macau, and Singapore combined. Wow. That's crazy. I mean, I know it's the whole country and not just one city, but like when you're talking more than Vegas money, like, oh my goodness. Yeah. They employ more people in the pachinko industry than all of Japan's car manufacturers combined. Yeah, I saw that at the peak of the pachinko industry in the 1990s, there were over 300,000 people that earned a living in the pachinko industry. Wow. In a country the size of Japan, 300,000 people made their living? Like, that's crazy. That's so big. Yeah. I saw that the market is valued at around 200 billion US dollars per year. That's more than 4% of Japan's GDP. Wow. And I, you know, I wasn't, I don't look at global, you know, GDP stuff a lot. I didn't really have a lot of context to put that into. So I looked it up. And just for comparison, you know what makes up 4% of the US's GDP? 4%? Yeah. Uh, electricity. I don't know about electricity, but arts, entertainment, recreation, accommodation, and food services combined (laughs) make up 4% of the U.S. GDP. Wow. Yeah. I mean, the U.S. GDP is pretty massive, but Japan's ain't so bad either per capita. But just think about that. Every hotel in the U.S., every restaurant in the U.S., every (laughs) movie theater And more, like all that combined, that's that's the pachinko industry. Wow. It's crazy. So those are all mind-blowing stats. I've got some more sad stats. Okay. Hit me. There was a 2014 study done in Japan that said among adults, there were 9.04% of men that had pathological gambling tendencies and 1.6% in women. I mean, 9% have pathological gambling problems. That is a lot. In North America, for contrast, for men, it's 1.6. And I didn't see for women. So I know a lot of people that gamble. I've met a lot of people that like gamble hard. And it's like a small fraction of how many people in Japan do that. Yeah. I saw that in 1999, 29% of players of Pachinko thought of themselves of having a gambling addiction and needed treatment. So almost a third of them admit to themselves that they have a problem and need help. That's crazy and sad. Yeah, it kind of makes you think about it a little differently when you look in and you see all these people just in these long rows of machines, just staring at the machine. So that's 29%. And in that same study, another 30% said they'd win over their budgets or borrowed to keep up with their habit. So that's like almost two-thirds of players either think they have a problem or are blowing past their budgets and borrowing money. I would think there's a lot of overlap between those two. 
or did you say it's an it's additional another, an additional thirty oh. percent in like another category? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that is a little sad. And I couldn't find any numbers on it, but I heard some hearsay that there's a lot of crimes that are attributed to pachinko gambling debts. I can imagine. So that's that's sad too. Yeah. Sounds like you could easily get yourself in a pretty bad situation. Yeah, anyone who likes gambling enough will get there at some point in their lives, I think. Yeah. Thankfully, I don't have that. There's plenty of stuff I enjoy in life. Gambling just doesn't happen to be one of those things. Yeah, me too. The only gambling I really get into is poker games with friends because usually I end up taking their money. <laughs> you know, I don't mind like uh, throwing a dollar a hole while I'm out golfing or something every once in a while, but yeah, at least then it's going to friends if you lose. Right. I just feel like whenever I'm going into a casino, like, all right, I'm just going to give away my money, you know, because yeah. you know the odds are against you. Especially slot machines. I never really spent a lot of time in Vegas, but, oh, it was actually with you, wasn't it, when we drove through Vegas and stopped there for just a few hours or something? Yeah, yeah, we were. And I put five bucks into a penny slot machine or whatever, and I blew through $5, and I'm like, okay, that was a waste of time. <laughs> Yeah, I put 20 in and it lasted to be like 10, 15 minutes. And I was like, well, there's my 20 bucks. Yeah. I think I'll stop there. Yeah. Or the rest is going to disappear just as quickly. Just not my thing. Anyways. You any more statistics to blow our minds or should we move on? I'm ready to get into some history. All right, let's talk history. All right. So Pachinko and Pinball... Both have a common ancestor in a game called Bagatelle, which first became popular in Europe in the 1700s and eventually made its way to the U.S. So in Bagatelle, imagine a long, narrow pool table, but it's kind of slanted, and the top is kind of rounded. And then you got, instead of pockets, like on the corners, you got these little holes with different point values at the far end of the table. So you're using a, a stick like a pool cue to try to hit a ball, get it to roll into one of those holes. That's Bagatelle. In the U.S., this eventually evolved into a variant called Corinthian Bagatelle. So this version was smaller. Both the table and the balls were smaller. And now you got a bunch of metal pins stuck into the board, too, to make the ball bounce around a little bit, add a bit of randomness to it. By the end of the 1800s, they invented the spring-loaded plunger, very much like a pinball machine. You know, you pull on the thing, it's spring-loaded, you let go, it shoots the ball up into the board. So at this point, we're getting pretty close to the pachinko pinball-like thing. So in 1924, Corinthian Bagatelle made its way to Japan, and it evolved into a children's toy called the Corinth Game. So pretty similar thing, very much aimed at kids. You could call this the first pachinko machine, though they weren't calling it that yet. And these little machines became popular in candy shops to keep kids hanging around. <laughs> you know, they would, uh, they would give out little prizes, pieces of candy to the kids that won this game. So kids would just spend all their time in the candy shops. And eventually these machines got the nickname Pachi Pachi, which is an onomatopoeia, a word describing a sound, for the sound that the balls make as they're bouncing around between all these pins, you know, pachi, 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 pachi. You got all this noisy, clattering kind of stuff going on. Yeah. In the following years, the Corinth game continued to evolve. It was turned upright. So this is much more like the modern pachinko machines. 
It was made larger, and at this point, adults started to get interested in this game too. And it was around this time that the name Pachinko started to be used, right around 1930 or so. Before they had a chance to get super popular, though, Pachinko machine production was halted because they needed those materials and manpower for World War II. So all pachinko parlors that existed at the time were closed, and most of the machines were scrapped for metal. Need a lot of metal for a war. Oh yeah, you never get enough. But in the late 1940s, they started coming back. Yeah, a parlor opened in Nagoya in 1948, and it just started taking off. Post-World War II, there was a surplus of ball bearings, so they start building pachinko machines and using ball bearings for them because they were just had a ton of them. So it was probably sometimes if you have so much of a thing in these crazy capitalist worlds, they'll pay you to take it away. <laughs> yeah. You know, you might they might have paid you to come take a truckload of ball bearings. Got to find something to do with them. I also want to note that after World War II. It sounds like this is the point when a lot of Korean-Japanese people started to get involved in the industry. So there's been a long history of discrimination against people of Korean descent in Japan. I mean, even today. And after World War II, pachinko parlors were some of the only places that would employ them. Immigrants tend to take the jobs that other people don't want. And gambling was one of those industries that was seen as like, I don't want to be involved or I don't want my family name tarnished. So a lot of native Japanese people didn't get involved and mm. Koreans were like, I'll work. Yeah. And they, from that point, got heavily involved in the industry. Yeah. Apparently they have come to dominate the industry. An estimated 80% of pachinko parlors in Japan today are owned by ethnic Koreans. And, you know, like I mentioned Unfortunately, the discrimination against Korean-Japanese people continues today. A lot of people think of pachinko as a second-class, dirty, and dangerous business. And in some people's minds, they connect those ideas to Korean people, too. Yeah. I also saw that there's been some controversy about pachinko money making its way into North Korea. I saw that, too. Like possibly laundering money for North Korea or maybe just making money for them. Yeah, like some of the people that own these parlors might be uh, sympathizers. Or maybe they even have family in North Korea and they're just sending money up there. Yeah, I, I didn't see details. I just heard like allegations of, rumors of North Korea yeah. being tied in. Yeah, I think that's one of those things just that's just really hard to trace. You know, it's hard to get solid numbers on that. Right. But I saw that some economists think that it could be the single biggest source of revenue for North Korea. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. I mean, they don't do a lot of trading with the rest of the world, partly because of their policy and partly because of the rest of the world's policies. Yeah. But wow. Yeah, that's an interesting connection that I was surprised to, to come across. Yeah, me too. For sure. Yeah. So anyway, after World War II, pachinko spread all over Japan, became a huge industry. Over the next few decades, the machines evolved, new features were added. There was kind of a lot of, a lot of changes happening all the time with different companies that were making these machines. Eventually, someone developed the system where you could win a bunch of additional balls for each ball that you got into the catcher, you know, we'll, we'll get into how it works exactly. But originally it's like you catch one ball and then you get a prize of another ball. 
But eventually they started giving out like a bunch of balls for every one ball. Uh, they also figured out how to make the machines shoot a bunch of balls in rapid succession. So instead of needing to pull a plunger or something and shooting one ball at a time, they could just rapid fire them into the machine. <laughs> Makes it much more exciting. Oh, okay. Makes the money go quicker. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> so the machines remained mainly mechanical up until the 1980s. And they started to get a lot more electronic and flashy. The bright lights, combining the mechanical with the electric elements. These days, there are a bunch of electronics. Yeah, involved. it's all... You still physically shoot a ball, but there's a lot of uh, computery stuff going on, too. Mm -hmm. Most machines these days have video screens built into them, and they play all sorts of animations, and they introduced a, a slot machine-like element to the game. Yeah. So the cozy ties between the police and the pachinko industry go back to about the 1990s. The National Police Agency took the initiative of getting pachinko parlor operators to introduce prepaid cards to their customers. I think it had something to do with like money laundering or being able to like trace the cash mm -hmm. that was going in and out made the police and government more comfortable. But in order to get the pachinko operators to agree to that, the police allowed them to raise the stakes on the game, to raise the possible amount you can win, because that's hard capped. So I don't know exactly what it is right now, but I think it's like the most you can win is like 300 some times more than what you put in on any one shot. So the higher that goes, the more chance you can hit a big jackpot, right? And that's what draws people in. Mm. So the police made that deal like, oh, you'll start using these prepaid cards, but it's, now it's higher stakes. Interesting. Now people are more into it, which has led to some controversy because there's a whole lot of like people fighting against gambling and gambling addiction. And then the pachinko industry trying to be like, oh, we're not gambling. That's the casinos. They're really trying hard to separate themselves from like, that's not our problem. Yeah. Interesting. So these days, of course, like we said, pachinko is a massive industry and one of the only ways to gamble legally in Japan. But that might be changing soon. I saw that in 2016, Japan passed a law that would make gambling legal in the future. I did see that too, but I was a little fuzzy on like, are those state-run casinos or like, can anybody gamble? I saw that the big casino companies like MGM and, you know, the kinds of ones that are in Las Vegas are working on getting casinos opened in Japan. Okay. But I don't know, maybe they have some uh, red tape they need to get through. It's probably going to be a few more years I saw before that actually happens. Yeah, it probably won't be like Vegas where you can just throw a slot machine in any building, yeah. any business. Yeah. You know? But eventually, you know, that could definitely take a chunk out of the pachinko industry. Um, oh, yeah. But even now, I saw that the pachinko industry is actually already declining and has been since the mid-2000s. Yeah. Younger generations are apparently more interested in video games. <laughs> yep, well, you can buy mystery boxes on the video games, and it's kind oh, of like yeah. gambling. <laughs> yeah, they, they have kind of introduced some gambling elements in video games these days, which... Uh, Remember the good old days of Super Nintendo? You just buy a game and that's it, you know? Yeah. It reminds anyway. me, though, of being a kid and like buying 
baseball cards or Pokemon cards. Yeah. Oh, am I going to get that rare one? Ah, let me buy 20 more packs and then maybe I'll get it. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, apparently there are a third less pachinko parlors now than there were in 2005. Okay. That seems like a pretty rapid decline. But yeah, still, like we said in the intro, Japanese citizens still gamble around 200 billion US dollars a year. And I did the math. That's about $1,500 for every person in Japan. Oh, that's so much. And I didn't even take out the children. That's like every single person. Wow. Yeah. That's nuts. Mm-hmm. So let's walk through this whole process. If you want to play pachinko, how do you do it? First of all, you need to be 18 years old, at least. Yeah, which I thought was interesting because I thought- Because it's not gambling, right? I thought of 18 more as like the number we use in America for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. In Japan, you're not an adult in some ways until you're 20. So I was a little bit surprised to see 18 for this. I don't know. Yes. Anyways, got to be 18. Yep. And first thing you're going to want to do is find a pachinko parlor. Shouldn't be too hard if you're in a city. Follow the noise. <laughs> Follow the lights. Yeah. Uh, once you find one, you're going to walk inside. You're going to pick out a machine and sit down. But there's some stuff you need to know about picking out a machine. Because there are so many different types of pachinko machines. They have all sorts of different themes. If there's like a certain anime that you really like, you might be able to find a pachinko machine with that theme for that anime. Or movies, you know, they could be all sorts of themes. So you can look for one that interests you. And I thought this was interesting. I did not realize this. Each machine has statistics above it showing how many times it's been played, how many times it has paid out, all these different stats so that if you know what to look for, you can kind of analyze these stats and choose the machine that you think you're most likely to win on. Yeah. I saw that people will even line up in the morning before the place opens so that they can grab a good machine as soon as the doors open. <laughs> so this probably sit there all day. Yeah. Yeah. Those people probably do. So this, this made me wonder, I don't know exactly how these machines are programmed, but does the machine's past performance actually have any effect on its future performance? You know? I can't imagine that it would. Because I saw that they just use random number generators to determine the payouts. So if it's truly random, no machine should perform any better than others, regardless of how much it has paid out. Right. All gamblers are just looking for an edge. So they overanalyze that stuff. Yeah. So do they put out these stats just to like feed into people's superstitions and misconceptions about how statistics work? Like, is this just kind of another mind game? You know? It's probably part that and maybe part to like show like, oh, hey, we're paying out. Oh, yeah. You know, like we're not cutting more than we should. We're taking a reasonable percentage. Yeah. So anyway, once you choose your machine... If you haven't had a seizure yet from all the flashing lights, you haven't passed out from all the smoke in the air, you're doing good so far. (laughs) And smoking is allowed at most parlors. Just something to to know. Yep. And I'm half joking about the seizures, but it can happen. I saw there is a warning. Yeah, if you're susceptible to that, probably don't go in. Yep. So you're going to need some ball bearings to play, right? That is important. So how do you get... A big old stack of ball bearings. Well, there's going to be a slot where you can put in money. 
And then there's going to be a button that you push to get a bunch of little metal ball bearings. And the balls are going to come out of the machine and pour into this tray on the front of the machine. So these balls are 11 millimeters in diameter, just these little metal balls, and they usually cost 4 yen each. So 500 yen will get you 125 balls. I did see that there are some places for beginners where balls are 1 yen each. So if you just want to try it out or you're not interested so much in gambling, you might be able to find one of those places. And you can think of these balls as a form of currency. You know, it's what you're buying with your money. It's also what you're playing with in the machine. And they're the prize that you're going to get if you win. So I uh, saw that it varies a little bit, but it's about a dollar per minute to play one of these machines. Okay. And then, of course, you win whatever you win. Maybe you win back more. You probably win back a little bit less. But that's, that's what you got to put into the machine to keep your entertainment going. Hmm. A dollar per minute. Yeah. I wonder how that compares to other forms of gambling. I'm sure they vary widely. Yeah, probably. I suppose it depends how much you bet. Right. Right, exactly. Are you playing dollar a hand in blackjack or are you playing a hundred bucks a hand? Yeah. So now you got your balls. How do you get started playing the game? You flick them or shoot them or something. So there's this knob on the bottom right corner of the machine. It's like, this is kind of your main controller for the game. This is how you're interacting with the game for the most part. So the knob is spring-loaded, so when you're not touching it, it's not doing anything. But when you grab it and you start turning it clockwise, it's going to start shooting balls up into the machine. And the further you turn it clockwise, the faster those balls are going to go. Yeah, which almost makes you think, oh, maybe there's some skill involved on like how hard you turn the thing. It's, it's luck. I think there is skill to some extent. I mean, it's mostly luck, yeah. But I think it is possible to be better or worse at pachinko it's maybe possible i mean if you if you just crank that knob all the way the balls are going to shoot so fast they're going to go all the way across the top of the machine and drop down to the the far bottom right corner and they're just done they didn't do you any good so what you need to do here is turn the knob so that the balls are trickling into the machine at the top left that's kind of the sweet spot so they're going to shoot up on the left side When they lose momentum, they'll start to fall and bounce in between all those little brass pins that are going to make them bounce around like the Plinko board. And I mean, once you hit that sweet spot, I guess at that point, it's mostly chance. (laughs) But you need to at least hit that spot. Yeah. If you got the basics down, then everyone's playing at about the same level, I think. Mm -hmm. So where where do you want those balls to get? You want them to get into a winning slot or fall into a winning hole. Yeah, it'll probably be kind of obvious. It's usually pretty brightly lit, kind of right in the middle on the bottom. There's a little catcher. And if the ball goes in there, that's a good thing. It might even open up some other catchers that you can aim for. And it's going to activate the slot machine part on the screen. This is where things get real exciting. (laughs) So it's literally just like a slot machine. You got these three numbers spinning, and you want them all to match up when they stop. And if the first two numbers of the spin match, then, you know, then you're super excited. You're like, okay, I need that last number. I hope it matches. And the game is going to mess with your psychology (laughs) and try to make it even more exciting for you by playing some sort of animation on the screen. They're going to stretch this out, right? That 
is called a reach. And the animation can depend on the machine's theme. It, it could be anything, depending on what kind of anime or movie or whatever it's based on. You might have two numbers kind of fighting each other. You know, which one is it going to be, you know? But the outcome has already been decided. Like the moment the ball went into the catcher, they already decided whether or not you were going to win this slot machine thing. Now, if all three numbers match up, that's jackpot. You got a jackpot. The machine is going to go into payout mode. So now even more animations are going to play. It's going to get even more worked up. There are going to be all these colorful flashing lights. And there's a payout gate that's going to open at the bottom of the playing field. So at this point, you're going to want to try to adjust that knob to shoot the balls so that they trickle into the payout gate. And each ball that you manage to get into that gate is going to give you a bunch more balls. Again, it's not going to spill out a bunch of coins or credits or anything. Those balls are what you're winning. So there's a tray at the very bottom of the machine that's going to start filling up with balls. They're going to start pouring into there. And if you win enough, it might even start to overflow and you need somewhere else to put those balls. At that point, there's a little plastic basket that you can put underneath the machine and there's a button that you can press to make all those balls filter down into the basket. Now, if you get really lucky, that basket might start to fill up and that might start to overflow. And all of a sudden you need a new basket, but you're in the middle of gameplay and you can't stop, you know. Your payout gate is still open. You're still shooting balls in there. What are you going to do then? Uh, in most particular parlors, there's going to be a little button you can hit to call an attendant over. Yep. And they'll bring you another basket. Or if you're done, they'll pick up your balls and walk them up to the counter for you. Yeah. And a good thing to know is that you don't want to be carrying those baskets full of balls. Even if you're confident that you can carry them safely, the attendants have much more experience handling balls. Experienced ball handlers. Yes. And yeah, but seriously, if you like dropped it, oh, it'd be such a disaster. Can you imagine? That would be the most embarrassing situation ever. And those things are probably dangerous. If you like walked over a bunch of ball bearings, you'd end up on your back. Yeah. I wonder how often that happens because, I mean, it has to happen. Oh, know? yeah. It's gotta. So, yeah, that's the basic gameplay. But like I said, there's so many different types of machines. Depending on the machine, there can be other special hidden modes that you can get into by getting balls in certain slots. Uh, there might be hidden modes that make it easier to win. Like there are all these different things that are programmed in it to kind of make it more exciting. It's all, <laughs> it reminds me so much of slot machines because it's all built to prey on your psychology and leverage your weaknesses to make you stay there and spend as much money as possible. You know, maybe the slot machine thing is spinning and it looks like you're going to lose, but then all of a sudden it gives you a jackpot or it gives you a second chance at the spin. And these special modes are all going to be indicated by different animations and lights. So, you know, whenever you see something new happen on the screen, you're like, oh, oh, this is something new. This is something exciting. You know, I'm, I'm winning even more. Like there are all these things that pay into the reward centers in your brain. Yeah. Or when it's like showing you the animation where you get the first two numbers in the slot and then you don't get like, oh, I almost had it. I was so close. I almost had it. Like you feel yeah. like you were right there, but you get you got nothing. It was yeah. loss. It was yeah. a loser. And you never were right there. Like the game already decided if you were going to win or lose. It's just messing with you. Yeah. I feel like we're being really hard on gambling. So as I want to say, if you're out there and you enjoy gambling, that's okay. 
that's fine. Yeah. We've all got, I've got dumb things I spend my money on for sure. You know, if you've got a problem with it, obviously, and you're spending way too much, I hope you get help. But if you just enjoy gambling and you want to spend some money doing it, I got no problem with people going to pachinko parlors and having some fun. Yeah. I don't mean to be too harsh on it. You know, it's just, I think it's important to realize why they're built the way they are yeah. and what they're trying to do. But, you know, if you think of it just as an arcade game, you know, whatever, arcade games are also, I mean, even just any kind of video game, it's built to mess with the reward centers in your brain, you uh, know? But so are restaurants, so are shopping centers, so so much stuff is advertising is meant to trigger us to get us to spend money in certain ways. That's true. Maybe I'm just overly cynical. I'm always I mean, keeping an eye out for that kind of stuff. You know, gambling is just not our thing, clearly, right? Yeah, yeah. So anyway... What I saw is that if you see a whole rainbow of colors, you know, the most flashing, the most action, that probably means you have the highest chance of getting a bonus at that point in the game. So so don't quit now. Yeah. And it's kind of visceral. Like you don't really need to know all the mechanics to know that when things are getting louder and brighter and flashing more, that's a good thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There can also be additional mini games involved depending on the type of machine and certain types of machines might even have other types of little controllers. Like I saw some pachinko machine that was based on, I don't know, some anime with a lot of guns or something. And there's actually a little gun attached on to the machine that you're using at some point in the game. I mean, there could be all sorts of stuff, really. Yeah, we talked earlier about how big the pachinko industry is. These games that are themed make a ton of money. Mm -hmm. Like the animes and things that get all these machines that are popular, they get these huge royalties from it. It's big business to be even that much connected with Pachinko. Yeah. Okay. So you've been playing the game. You got all these balls. You're filling up these baskets. You're going to hit that call button, have the attendant come over, carry all your balls for you over to a machine that will count them for you. This is important. You need to know exactly how many balls you won. So that's going to dictate how many prizes you can get. So I saw that if you don't speak Japanese, when the attendant comes over, if you want to tell him that you're done playing the game, you can make a little X with your fingers. That'll get the message across. Okay. And when the machine counts all your balls, you're going to get a card or a slip of paper that shows the number of balls that you won. And then you can go to the prize counter. And you better go right away because your voucher is only valid on the day that you play. You can't, you know, win a bunch of balls, take your slip, and then come back the next day to pick out your prizes. So usually each parlor has special balls. So you can't go around changing balls between parlors or anything like that. They'll get little engravings on them or something like that to distinguish them. And what I thought was interesting is that has led to collecting pachinko balls now being a thing. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, I got to get the one from each parlor. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, I wonder what the pachinko parlors think of that because, you know, technically it sounds like you're not supposed to take the balls outside of the parlor at all. Like, I wonder if you're actually kind of stealing them. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, these days, maybe the balls cost more than their equivalent value in prizes. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. How do, do you know how casinos in the U.S., like, do they care if people take the chips? I think they, I think that is strongly discouraged, hmm. but 
again, I don't spend a lot of time in casinos. I'm sure people collect casino chips but too, I, right? I've seen people that have casino chips. Maybe the casino's fine with it because they're like, yeah, whatever, don't cash it out. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Anyway, ready to pick out your prizes, right? And at the prize counter, a lot of it, like I said, is going to look just like an arcade might in the US. They're going to be all these silly little prizes, you know, maybe some candy bars, snacks. Uh, I saw sake or beer might be a prize. Nice. Toys, electronics, bicycles, it could be pretty much anything. But if you want cold hard cash, you're going to want to pick out their special prize because that's where this whole shady loophole thing comes into play. So the special prize is usually a little gold token encased in plastic. And if you choose that prize, then you can go to that nearby establishment, wherever it is, and sell the prize for cash. So if you're looking for money, what you probably want to do is just get as many of those special prizes as you can, and then use the remainder of your balance to just choose some of those little cheap prizes like candy or snacks or whatever. Now, if you don't know where to go to sell those special prizes for money, I saw that the staff probably won't tell you where the place is because, you know, it's important that they're, they're kept separate from that whole process. Yeah. But I saw that you might want to ask another friendly pachinko player where you can go. They can probably point you in the right direction. Or if you're a little more awkward or creepy, you just kind of follow other players that leave and see where they all go to cash their prizes in. That would probably work too. I saw that in Tokyo, it might not be that hard to find where you can sell your prizes because there's only one company in the whole city that handles the prize exchange. (laughs) The Tokyo Union Circulation Company, TUC. So all their locations have a big yellow sign out front that says TUC shop. Makes it a little easier. Yeah. So you go there, there'll be a little window, you know, you slip your prizes in there, you get your money. Happy days. So let's talk a little bit about the etiquette of playing pachinko. There are a couple of things we already mentioned, like don't take the balls out of the establishment. Don't carry your own balls around. Have the attendant carry your balls for you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm being immature. <laughs> Um, But there's a few other things too. It's a little bit of a solitary game. So if you're a little overly chatty with the players around you, that might be inconsiderate. If you get too close to them, they might think you're there in your personal space. Everyone's paying attention to the screen in front of them. They're not really there to talk or make friends with you. Right. Remember the wa, that concept of social harmony that is so important in Japan. You know, you don't want to draw attention to yourself. You don't want to upset other people. Don't stare at your neighbor's machine. Don't gloat about winning or like, you know, when you get that jackpot, don't just be like, oh, hey, yeah, look at me. (laughs) Just kind of- That's exactly what you're supposed to do. (laughs) Just stick to your own thing. I saw, you know, think poker face. You don't need to look like super angry or sad when you lose. You don't need to celebrate when you win, you know. Just smiled inside. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, If you aren't winning and you're getting upset, don't hit the machine. If they see you hitting the machine, they're going to kick you out. If you need to get up from your seat for a minute for something, you can just leave something on your seat. Seems to be pretty common. Like if you see a pack of cigarettes or something of that sort on a seat, 
that means someone just got up for a moment. So don't use that machine. They're going to be back. Yeah. Find one with nothing on the seat. Or in the tray of the machine, I saw that you could leave something there to, to indicate you're coming back. Yeah. So I saw that that whole reserving your seat thing only works for up to 20 minutes. After that, the parlor might clear out the machine, remove your personal belongings. But if they do, they're going to call the number of the machine over the loudspeaker to let you know what's going on. That makes sense. I mean, 20 minutes is a long time. They need, they need someone on that machine putting in money. Yep. They're not making money if you're not sitting there. <laughs> the number one most important rule, though, is never touch anyone else's balls. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Very rude. It's considered bad luck. It's insulting. And it's like your money, you know? Yeah. It's like if you had a pile of chips in a casino in America and like someone came and started touching, messing with your chips. Security would show up immediately. I'd get mad. I'd be like, dude, stop touching my chips. What are you doing? Are you stealing from me? Yeah. Yeah, so Not don't do cool. that. I saw that like they take it so seriously that there, there are security cameras all over. And if you try to take somebody else's balls, you'll probably get arrested. And even if you see a ball just rolling around on the ground, you're like, oh, that doesn't belong to anybody. I'll just grab that one. Don't do it. Yeah. Call an attendant. Have them take care of it. Belongs to someone. Mm-hmm. That's all I got for etiquette. You got anything else? Uh, a few other rules are don't bring children into the pachinko parlor. Got to be 18 to be in there. Don't sit at a machine for too long without playing it. Now, this isn't a place to just sit and hang out. It's a place to play the game. So they're not going to be happy if you're just sitting there and not using the machine. Uh, and also, you can only play one machine at once. Maybe you think you can make twice as much money by playing two machines at once, but can't do that. <laughs> you are free to switch machines if you feel like the one you're at is not lucky or you know you want to move for whatever reason. You can only play one at a time. So if you want to switch, have an attendant help you out with that. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's all I got for etiquette. Okay. I just got a couple other random notes on if you want to play pachinko in Japan. There are pachinko machines at some video game arcades. So it's not really gambling. It's probably going to be smoke-free. A little more relaxed atmosphere. So if you don't want to hang out in a pachinko parlor, you can go play a machine at an arcade. And it gives you like credit that you can use to play other games in the machine if you or in the arcade if you win, I guess. Right. So that's kind of cool, a little uh, like pachinko light. Yeah. If you just want to learn the game, I also saw that some parlors in Japan have signs in English saying like, learn how to play pachinko, you know, we'll teach you and they'll help you get started. Nice. Um, and those might be the ones where the balls are one yen instead of four yen each, you know, aimed at beginners or less serious players. So that'd be a good place to get started. Um, I actually saw that there is one pachinko parlor in the United States. Really? Yeah. Where's that at? Wilmington, North Carolina. Okay, interesting. Yep. So if you're near there, you want to give it a shot, maybe stop by. Uh, I found an article about it, actually, where they talked to the owner. And, you know, we mentioned that pachinko machines are super loud. He said that the sound settings are essentially loud, louder, and loudest. And he had to actually go in and physically dampen the speakers because he just couldn't handle how loud they were. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, one last option. If you really, really want to play pachinko, you don't want to go to Japan, you could buy a pachinko machine. You can find them on eBay. 
and they are less expensive than I expected. You know, I'm thinking like arcade games, like a big arcade game cabinet thing. Those are like thousands of dollars, right? Yeah. You can get a modern pachinko game, like the ones with the LCD screen and everything, for between $1,000 and $1,500, somewhere in that range. Some even cheaper. Paul, I know you're a fan of Neon Genesis Evangelion. Oh, yeah. They have a pachinko machine on eBay from 2018, so pretty new for 1500 bucks. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also found a website, modernpachinko.com, that imports machines from Japan and refurbishes them and then sells them on their website. They range anywhere from 800 to 2000 bucks there, depending on the franchise and the theme and how advanced the machine is. Okay. So if I were going to buy one, I think I'd go with that website. You never really know what you're getting from eBay, you know? And it sounds yeah. like it sounds like this uh, this company, since they have experience refurbishing them and stuff, I bet they could repair it if something went wrong. So, That'd be nice. Yep. So there you go. Try out Pachinko if you get a chance. Give it a shot. You got anything else, Paul? That's it. All right. Well, I hope you liked learning about Pachinko. If you want to learn more about Japan, see some pretty pictures, check out our Instagram we are at SJP Podcast. You could also check out our website, find more episodes, sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. You can also send us a message through there. We have a contact page. And uh, Paul, what are we talking about next time? Our next episode is going to be about the Tohoku region. That'll be cool. I know very little about the Tohoku region. Same here. It makes me excited. Like everything I learn almost is going to be new, which yeah, is nice. Totally. Thanks for listening. See you next time.